I found that without time constraints, you might just like slowly consume something and learn about it. And you don't move on until you deeply understand that. And it's like a learn once and then you ingrain it forever. So my kind of personal thesis is I try not to predict the future because you really can't do that. What I try to do is position myself for success. So the question I often ask myself is how can I stack the odds in my favor? So success is inevitable. And so right now that what I'm doing is I'm trying to curate a portfolio of experiences so that when I do start my own business, it's kind of like a no brainer. And I know I have the mental models to, to figure that out. Welcome to episode 13 of the Idea Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Cho. When I reflect on 2023 as a whole, there are really two key lessons that I'd call out as being especially impactful. The first is that the internet is insanely powerful in connecting people with aligned interests and values. And this statement might sound incredibly obvious because of the algorithms that power social media today. But when you actually experience connecting with other people online firsthand and see the types of relationships that can spark as a result, that statement means something very different. Your whole worldview will shift. The second lesson is related to this, which is that maybe now more than ever, is it crucial to learn from people across generations? So if your social media feed is feeding you the same type of content that your demographic would find of interest, then you are likely being served up a very thin perspective of life. And as a 27-year-old, I often find that speaking to people much older than me and also engaging in conversation with people much younger than me has made for some of the highest ROI discussions that I've engaged in. This episode was a special one because it connected both of these two lessons and it also marked a milestone for the idea exchange. It was my first in-person podcast recording and it was also my first ever podcast with more than one guest. My guests in this episode were Jay Yang and Noah Zender. Jay is only 18 years old. He is a social media juggernaut and also a content strategist that wears many hats. And I met Jay serendipitously through an interaction on X, struck up a conversation with him, and was uh, quite taken aback by just the amount of wisdom that he had at his age and also the thought and care that he was taking so early on in his career. Jay ended up introducing me to his friend Noah Zender, my second guest, and Noah is 24 years old. He runs a newsletter called Pioneers Project, where he shares some of the highest signal ideas every Sunday. And he is also a product manager at Paradox, which is a conversational recruiting software company that is working to resolve the many frustrating frictions that come with hiring and onboarding employees. I continue to find these types of conversations with young people very intriguing. And I'm super pumped to meet more energetic, curious, and kind young people to learn from in 2024. With all that said, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jay Yang and Noah Zender. So my name is Noah Zender. I'm about to be 24, I guess. Wow. <laughs> but I've, I've kind of come from a really interesting progression. I had my first like internship when I, before I went to college. So very similar to kind of the, the situation that you're in now, Jay. And throughout college, like I had so many different places I worked. So I started first internship was in manufacturing. 
like tool and die press, you think eight mile where they're like the things coming down and pressing on a car part, like spot on like that. Yeah. Um, and then I went and worked for a distribution company doing sales there and eventually landed in an AI startup doing sales development there. And that was about three years ago. And the first two jobs I had, I was miserable, man. Yeah. It was like classic cube farm. Like you're, you're just like spitting this output out, but it's like not, you don't really see the impact of anything. And when I started that sales development role at the company is called Seamless AI. Um, I was like, man, this last sales job I had, like this would have saved me so much headache, right? Like it, it was a lead scraping tool. And so I became obsessed with AI. And for a while, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Now everything's like centered around innovation. And so from that sales development role, I went and worked at a VC fund, an early stage VC fund that invested in AI. Um, and just kind of kept that chain going. Hmm. And I was seeing so much cool technology there. I was like, okay, I want to be the person that like, builds the product. And so now I work for an HR tech um, AI startup out of Scottsdale. Um, on the side, I write the Pioneers Project, which is just my weekly newsletter, um, where I try to like dive into, you know, what are the powerful or useful ideas that innovators have. Um, I read a ton of biographies and study a lot of what I would call like consider clear thinkers or, mm -hmm. or like creators, whatever. And really, it's just about like, what are the common patterns of success and failure there? Two quick like follow up questions before we uh, get to Jay is what, what did you study in university? So I, I got two degrees. I don't use either one of them. Um, I studied <laughs> business economics and startup entrepreneurship. So like, I love to say that my degrees qualify me for nothing unless I want to go become an economist, which sounds like mental hell to me. But at least the startup entrepreneurship stuff, it like kind of overlaps with some of the like side project interests you have, right? That was just more like, like those classes, like how do you teach entrepreneurship, True. right? And those classes, they're more just like mindset training than anything else. Um, and trying to like start thinking from a different framework than anything. But I just like tried to reverse engineer what are, what are the role models that I have? What did they study? Okay, these people turned out well. Now here's what I study. <laughs> Makes sense. And uh, the AI, like kind of VC firm, um, or I guess the VC firm that invested in some AI technologies and startups, mm -hmm. is that something you still are working on or is it just seamless full-time? Uh, well, the company I work for now is called Paradox. Ah, um, okay. Seamless was the first like startup in the AI space gotcha. that, I, that I worked for. Um, I don't work with the VC fund actively, but, you know, keep connections with them. Um, really try to nurture that relationship. And actually, in like two weeks, I'm going to their partner meeting um, where like all their LPs and GPs and stuff like that will be. Um, so really just like maintaining connections there and just um, trying to help out anywhere I can. Like there's a lot that happens on the ground floor of an AI startup versus mm -hmm. like what those people are seen. So when I come across like interesting news or new technology, I share it with them. Super cool. Yeah, I'm, I'll be curious to link back to the AI experience and like if your expectations versus like actually now working at an AI company has kind of changed your thoughts on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, but we'll get there. Jay, you want to give your quick intro? Yeah. So my name is Jay and uh, I'm 17. So I have a shorter story than most <laughs> of you guys. Um, 
But I, I like to tell other people that I feel like I've lived 10 years in the last two. Um, so my journey started during COVID. Um, I was bored and I started a music promotion YouTube channel um, where I promote other people's music and try to help them get exposure. And uh, one day I posted a motivational song um, on YouTube and it absolutely blew up. Like got a million plus views, skyrocketed my channel. Like I was, I was on the moon. Um, but when I scrolled through the comments, I noticed people saying like, this song actually changed my life. Like I lost 10 pounds running to this song. Or I don't know why this seems so big, but uh, this motivated me to get out of bed. And, and that kind of made me realize two things. Um, the first being, man, a lot of people need encouragement and inspiration. Um, and, and the second one being, I could be that person that inspires people. So I started an Instagram page, uh, hence the name Jang Inspires. And I would just share kind of cliche, motivational quotes, inspirational content. Um, but I kind of fell in love with the act of creating something, like sharing my ideas and actually seeing the impact that it had on other people. Um, so I started a Twitter account and, you know, my journey's progressed through there. And now I am a content strategist for a few different startups and companies. Um, but, I, you know, the medium has changed, but I think the mission still stays the same is I want my journey and my ideas to be something that me two years ago could look up, look up to. And so my main mission is to inspire people. Super cool. Yeah, there's. I think there's like a, a piece of criticism that somebody like listening to this conversation could have of me, just like even interviewing you guys, which is like you're 17, right? And when you're that young, it's not like, you know, like uh, there, there might be some skepticism around like who is this 17-year-old kid? And even for like young people that are in their 20s, like do these people really have anything intelligent to say on subject, subject matters that, that matter because the world is complex and at 17, at 25, it's not like you've really acquired that much knowledge that you can actually impart upon people. Um, but the one thing that I am very like keen on is both learning from people that are much older than me in their 30s, 40s, 50s that have a lot of like career experience that I can learn from, but then also trying to find people that are young, like younger than me, because the way that they interact with technology is very different. And some of the insights that they are gleaning are very different from my own experience and the own ways in which I use technology. Um, so that's part of the reason why like I think this conversation is interesting. That and because um, I'm always trying to find people that are interested in the same types of stuff that pique my interest. I feel like just in the conversations that we've had, uh, even though we were recording for the last like 45 minutes, but we didn't have it on, <laughs> on, on track. It's like same same lane, same stuff, and you derive a lot of energy for that. Um, so I appreciate you guys both for, for being on. Yeah, I think age is, a lot of people will measure up against it, but it, at the same time, it's like, it's just a way for us to quantify maturity. <laughs> like Like, you know, you're 17, but like, comparison of maturity you're more mature than some people who are 24 25 right like you have a better sense of what holistically the world looks like than those people do because you go out and you learn and you seek to understand you seek to be more interested than interesting right like you you sent that quote um to us the other day and it's like you're really living that and because of that you derive all these different insights from everything you're doing. So I just feel like age is almost irrelevant in some yeah. standpoint. The other thing that's interesting is like, I have three younger brothers, two of whom are high school age, so like exactly your age. And then I have another younger brother that's in college. And 
I know from kind of interacting with them that like they're not really interested in like, reading <laughs> books and like listening to podcasts and stuff like that. And so using that contextual background and then seeing like how voracious like you are consuming stuff makes it stick out in my mind. Um, but one, one like jumping off point there is like at 17 and the high school experience and the stuff that you're doing and how you think about that in relationship to like, because when you're in high school, like high school is your entire world. You know, mm-hmm. like at least that's how I remember high school being is like the social environment that you're in ultimately has this social inertia to it that'll like pull you along. And I think what people realize after high school, after college is that those social ecosystems, which represented like four or five years of your life in the grand scheme of your lifetime, don't actually matter all that much. So like from your perspective, interacting with high sc- other high schoolers that are like, what what are you doing with this online stuff? Like, is it? Is it weird for you at all? Do you, do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's a little bit weird. Um, but I've always kind of known I've been slightly different than other kids. Like, I've always known I wanted to do something great in whatever context that was. Like, when I was younger, I wanted to be playing the NBA. Um, now the, the dreams are different. But, yeah, I think it's different. Um, but, you know, one thing I've learned reading a lot of biographies and studying people who have gone on to do great things is, They've all been slightly wired different. They play to the, they they dance to their own music, um, and so that learning that about other people has allowed me to lean into that part and aspect of me, and um, and really surround myself with people who are older and and have more experience because I know that that's kind of where I want to go, and so that's kind of why I I'm, I'm here and and talking with you guys. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, do your like classmates and your high school friends, do they know that you're doing stuff like online or do you try and keep most of that stuff separate? Uh, some of them know, uh, they just kind of know I do social media stuff. They don't know the whole context and depth of it, but, um, yeah, I don't really talk about it much at school. Yeah. And this is the other thing is like, I feel like I've had a complete 180 in terms of my views of social media, which is like, if you asked me five years ago or say when I was 20, for the most part, I would have said like, it's a distraction and there's not really that much upside. Like maybe there are some people that find value in staying connected with close friends and families um, via social media. Uh, But like I didn't have Instagram or Snapchat or even Twitter or X. Um, But my views on it have, have changed quite considerably since then of like, it's a way to kind of find your tribe, so to speak. Um, and I think it's, we talked about this a little bit as well. Yeah. It's like you find people in your lane and that can be incredibly it's, energizing. It's like a, such a powerful networking tool. And I try to tell this to like all my friends, right? They, we go from college where in, in even high school, like that social ecosystem you, you talk about, it's, it's all by association. It's like who lives in this town. That's who I see in high school who may play the same sports. That's who my friends are. You go off to college. It's like, what organizations are you a part of? What are you studying? Like it's most of our relationships we build in in those phases are very association based. When I moved to Arizona, I knew nobody. I moved across the country, knew nobody completely like by myself. And that's what prompted me to just start like writing on Twitter is it's like, man, I'm here. Like these are the ideal people I would love to hang out with. How do I find those people? It's like social media, right? Like you have the ability to like almost see into someone's mind before you really like see into someone's mind. And so I have this, uh, this friend, his name is Louis Shulman. And we became friends just because I 
came across someone retweeted one of his tweets. So he's in Scottsdale, Arizona. I sent him a cold DM. Hey man, I just like moved out here three months ago. Like would love to hear about everything you're doing. Like it, it sounds like you're, the agency you're running is super interesting. Like we went, grabbed coffee. Like it was great conversation. He's like, man, if you ever want to co-work, like let me know. You know, three, four days later, we like hang out. We're like grinding out work. And now like everyone that was in his social circle is like now I'm like all friends with all of them. And those are like my like, friends in Arizona. And it just becomes like such an unlock when you can find like, you only need one or two people wherever you're at, right? But like, all you have to do is hunt for those people on social media. And when you find them, you open up like all this, this whole new network of, of people that you never would have just met because there's no association in the real world, right? We're in Chicago right now, you walk down the street, there's no association between you and the stranger. But it's the way of like finding those people to create those associations. Yeah, I mean, even the way that we we started talking, like I think Jay, we got connected somehow on X, and then you you um, somehow like connected the two of us, or like maybe you mentioned me or him, and then you know we had a fun conversation. Mm-hmm. And if this goes back to the earlier conversation we had off air, which is that in the context of having an existing relationship, your interaction with other people on X kind of changes as well. Because now that I know you and have had conversations with you and I guess Jay and and Noah, right? When you guys post something, it means something different than just text behind a screen. And I think that's a lesson that I've only learned somehow over the last like couple <laughs> of years. Um, but I guess the, the thing that I'm also curious about is your relationship with like social media as well, because there is like a a kind of a dark side of like either technology kind of owns you to some extent, or you are owning the technology and using it in, in the capacity in which, you know, it's effective and beneficial to your life. And you had a brief stint where you just like were posting for a long time and then stopped as well. You want to share a little bit about the thought process and experience there? Yeah. Um, so I, I wrote consistently for almost a year. It, It was, probably a little over a year. Um, And then I stopped for four months. And a big prompt of that was like, you get very distracted very, very easily on social media. Like everyone is peddling an opportunity. Everyone is telling you how you should live your life. Everyone is telling you these things, at least the little niche corner of X now that I have. And I went and this is inspired by George Mack, but he he wrote this thread about how how can you 10x your creativity without taking psychedelics? And one of them was talking about this idea of like self-isolation, like forced self-isolation. And a lot of what makes Japan really special is that they were an isolationist society for hundreds of years. So I went and I went out to a cabin that weekend just impulsively booked a a cabin in the middle of like the Arizona desert and went out there by myself and was like, you know, okay, I feel like I need to be doing all these different things. I feel like I have no sense of like clarity on my direction. Let me go out. Let me reflect on this. And I realized that I'm just comparing myself to everyone constantly on social media. And I feel like that's what ends up happening. It's like we talked about earlier that was like off recording. The fat person sitting on their couch telling you to get up and do something, you have no differentiation if that person's fat. Like they could be saying that just because they want to remind themselves. <laughs> and 
you could read it in such a different context of like, man, this person's like going out, they're doing something, but you have no idea like what the reality they're living in is. You only see this like point zero 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 one percent of their life, which was that thought that impulsively popped in their head. Yeah. And it's so hard not to compare yourself to all of that. So I took like four months off to what I would do, what I would call like pre-work. It's like, is this really serving me in the grand scheme of things, right? Like, what am I really trying to achieve here? Let me like get crystal clear on what game am I playing? Like, I've realized I'm not playing the game of a creator. Like I'm not writing on Twitter or anything like that or my newsletter to be a creator, to start a course, to, you know, um, do all of these different things. It's like, that's not my full-time job. That's not what I'm like, I've set out to do. I've set out to do this. And so how do I define that game so that I'm no longer comparing? The whole social media landscape is like pretty interesting to me just because you can see people on there that have like massive followings. Um, but if you get close to that person and actually like understand who they are, sometimes they can be people of high signal, but other times they've like figured out the social media game of like what works and what doesn't work. But then like, there's not that much signal there behind the curtain, like when you're just interacting with them. Um, and I think there's like the kind of exact opposite thing that can happen where you have people, they have teeny tiny followings, the posts that they are posting out there, maybe it just like doesn't make that much sense or like there's no context behind it. But when you actually have a conversation with that person, you're like, whoa, that guy is really smart. And finding like kind of those golden nuggets is something that has been very interesting to me as well. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Jay, like from your perspective, being on social media, especially like as a teenager, I feel like 95% plus of the teenagers that I see on social media are mostly just like scrolling through TikTok. Um, what do you have like a approach that you use or kind of like a framework of how you use like social media in your own life? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ideas I've learned is to curate your feed. So I have a bunch of Twitter lists of specifically people who have the like who are creator capitalists, which is an idea we can touch upon later. Um, people who I believe are clear thinkers and, and you know people who are in marketing. And uh, I think James Clear had this idea is like everything, every thought you think is downstream of something you've previously consumed. And so if you stay on like the things that you want to eventually think about, then that's how I use social media is, um, cura is curating my feed to only consume things that I'm interested in and things I want to aspire to be like. What do what those kind of things typically... Um, like, are there, are there categories or segments of, like, the, the types of stuff that you are interested in? Um, like, when you talk about the feed curation, I'm just, like, curious how you do that um, in an everyday setting. Yeah, so I, I tend so I have a feed called Pros, where it's only three to five people, um, and they are the people who either have the business or the life or the, the ideas or mental models that I aspire to be like. Um, because I think what many people do is they... They look up to too many people where then they become distracted. And so if you can pick just three to five people, even like one person to really study rigorously, um, I think you'll get ahead far faster than people who are jumping ship every time to different people and not who, really studying. Who are some of those like <clears throat> pros for you? So I have six people total um, on the writer side. Uh, three of my favorite writers are James Clear, Morgan Housel, and Shane Parrish. And then three of my favorite thinkers are Naval, Paul Graham, and 
and Charlie Munger. And if I can just really, over the course of my life, just not just memorize, but implement those handful of mental models that each one provides, um, I think things will work out a lot better than, than listening to everyone and everyone. For sure. And then has your, has your own approach to like social media evolved over time? Or like how would you describe when people ask you like, are, do you use social media or not? And in what ways? Um, how would you describe that? Yeah, my I mean, my approach has definitely shifted and changed. I have 80% of my followers on like the people I'm following on Instagram, just like you did. Um, and I've and on Twitter, I have like a list. And it's like, I don't have the same segmentation you have, Jay, but I have a list and it's just top 100. And like, if I want to add someone to that list, I have to remove someone. Like I can only have a hundred people on that list. And it's like the hundred people I just like want to keep up with. I want to keep consuming their ideas. See, like a lot of them are like my friends, like you guys are on there. Um, and it's like, you know, just want to continue to interact with them. And I have some context into that, but I try to avoid algorithms like as much as possible uh, you're, you're just like fed what to think, right? Like the internet is like such a great place where there's endless possibilities of what you can come across. And so like, why not just like use it as a search engine? Um, I have most of my social medias on a different phone. And the only one I have on my main, like main phone is X and the notifications are turned off on that. So like, I don't ever like, Unless there's like a specific reason to get on it, I never like go and get on it. Um, so I try to just think about like, how can I find those people that have those great ideas and consume more of their long form stuff, the actual stuff that like has meat to it that can give me um, a lot of the context as opposed to just like, here's 280 characters that are like, again, you attribute your own context to. For sure. Yeah, it's funny because I don't really have a strict approach in terms of how I use social media per se, but I try and do like a bit of a barbell strategy where the vast majority of the content that I consume is long form. It's mm -hmm. either books or podcasts, right? And my brain just like feels nourished or better in a better mental space yes, when yes. I'm reading long form and kind of focusing on a deep insight for a period of time. But then on the same time, at the same time, I think that there can be some value in short form entertainment specifically of you can get like a very unique slice of the world by like scrolling through a bunch of like short form feeds and I'm going through a learning sprint on like marketing and advertising right now and a lot of kind of like what works and what doesn't work is like popping up in my mind as I'm scrolling through the TikTok feed um, or I, I don't use TikTok, but I use like YouTube shorts for, um, for some of my content. And it is just interesting to see like what's working and what's not and where people's attention is headed from a like high level, like theoretical perspective of like, where's, where's the world going and what are people finding interesting? Like some of the stuff that I get exposed to is like pretty wild stuff that I'm, I'm grateful. I, I, you know, actually was exposed to it. And like one example is, um, I saw this guy doing like uh, breakdowns of Madden plays and like he's a <laughs> smart, like strategic thinker when it comes to football. And he was breaking down like a bunch of football plays that I had never se seen been broken down by like an NFL analyst. And he was doing it using like playing Madden, you know, and so like that stuff where you can see like, whoa, this is a really weird thing, but it's interesting. If I'm not on social media and not kind of seeing, you know, what's out there, 
it still does give you like some interesting perspectives as well. You just have to be careful of the danger of like, are you getting sucked into a doom scroll where you're just wasting wasting time? Yeah, I feel like the like specifically on like Instagram or like the for you page on X. I, I don't have TikTok, so I don't know how that is, but I feel like most of that is like when I look at it, it's like showing me human stupidity. Right. It's like people doing like dumb like stunts or whatever it is. And like I've tried to get rid of most of that, but it just like shows you there, there's a thing when it comes to creating, there's like a framework. It's called random entry. Right. So when I do consume short form content, I try to use it as a random entry where if you're like creating and if you work at a place like IDEO, which is uh, like a, just a creative agency, you'll have like cards. Um, like physical cards and they'll just random things on it. Like a spider might be on one and say uh, a bowl on another one. And then there's like, I don't know, all these random things. And when you're trying to create something, you just flip through them and like try to think about how does like a spider relate to this or how does like a uh, like picture of a sunset relate to this. And when I am consuming short form content, I try to have some frame of reference of like, how does what is what am I like the big idea I'm thinking about? And usually it's like in creation of my weekly newsletter. But then how do I like relate this to that? Or how do I relate this to this like big pressing problem in my life? Try to use it more as like a random entry type of tool. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's like three ways in, from my perspective of how you can consume is like you can either one scroll Instagram and, and study what not to do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You could scroll YouTube and and learn not study the what, but study the how. How is he breaking that? How can I apply mm -hmm. that to my domain? Um, and the third one being as a jumping, as a launching pad to then explore that idea further. So um, Morgan Housel has this idea of people don't remember great books. They remember great sentences. Mm -hmm. And so even if I do read a long form book, what I'll try to do is I'll try to summarize that and then share them in, share my lessons and maxims that perform well on Twitter um, and so as I'm scrolling Twitter, I'm trying to find those sentences that really stand out to me. And like, that's one of my favorite things to do is collect sentences, collect questions. Um, and so that's kind of three ways that I talk. You're a big collector. Like I, I would, how do you take all the things you're collecting and what is like your process for creating look like with that kind of being a downstream result of everything you're collecting? Yeah, I think there's kind of two approaches to that. Um, the first one being, I think Ralph Waldo Emerson had this quote of, I don't, I can't remember all the books that I've read, but you know, somehow they've made me who I am. Mm. Um, and the second approach is to curate what stands out to you. Um, because that's, I think, how you develop taste is when, as you're scrolling the feed and you notice, oh, this tweet stood out to me, then question and try and re reverse engineer it. Why did that stand out to me? Was it the hook? Was it this exact sentence? Was it the way they framed the sentence? Um, and, and the better you can identify why it stood out to you, the better you can then create content from it. And so you can either consume to curate your Lindy library, or you can consume to reverse engineer the structures and the hooks. And, and so those are two ways I do it. Hmm. The, the thing that I think a lot about as it relates to taste is like right now I am doing a learning sprint on advertising and marketing. And one of the recent books that I've read um, was Ogilvy on advertising. And one of the things he said in there is like what differentiates the, the great doctors from the not so great doctors is that they just know more. Like they've had more experience and they have a deeper knowledge base. And oftentimes 
excellence is oftentimes a game of volume of just knowing more. And I think like something is similar with taste as well is if you haven't read at all, it's very hard to know what good writing looks like versus what good writing doesn't look like. But as soon as you consume a lot of writing, you now have a baseline for like what is actually good and what isn't good. And so, so much of like even my personal projects of like why I find them valuable to just consume a ton of content is because your bar of good is continually being refined. And I feel like, especially for you being at the age you are to have like figured some of that out is, is pretty remarkable. Taste is a huge part of marketing too. Like, I, when I read Ogilvy on advertising, you know, I, I always think about the guy with the eye patch. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly even what the company was, right? But they, they like Ogilvy and Mather, they curated this like image of like what the product was, what the feel was that it was supposed to give people. And people bought into that because that was where their taste lied, right? It was like, this is like the, the brand resonance resonated with people that had this taste. And that's really what marketing is in, in, in essence, right? It's like, how do you curate that so that people can consume it? Yeah, 100%, 100%. One of the things that I think this will be also fun in just terms of recording a podcast is like, it's a timestamp of like kind of where we're at right now. Uh, and then whether it's a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, you can kind of come back and see like, I took a completely different path or like what I thought then was completely wrong. Uh, I guess like Noah with, with what you're doing with like the pioneers project or even like the work you're doing at an AI company, do you have kind of a mental framework for like the direction that you want to take your early career? Yeah. When I'm, I mean, when I'm thinking about my career, um, ideally I want to like land back in venture capital. Um, so, you know, how do I do that? It's, it's like the pioneers project is my way of trying to build distribution so that like you can kind of get deal flow in my way of like developing and exploring ideas. And then the actual like nine to five that I have is like my way of learning how to build products and like what makes great products and how all the different complex pieces of a business work. So that's kind of like the direction I, I want to move towards is more towards like the investor venture capitalist like side of things. But like in the immediate short term, since I have this like place to this like staging ground to play with ideas, that's kind of what I'm doing with the newsletter. <clears throat> and then I am really interested in like the future of work. Um, that's kind of like what I've learned is a downstream impact of like obsessing over AI for three years. And so I like slowly over time, I want to like build up this thesis of how do I view the world moving for the future of work and like what companies are pieced into that and either I go work for them or you know what's missing in that or you know what is like a, a mock investments like I would make to just start getting those like reps without having the need to have millions of dollars of money and then out of curiosity just in terms of like what you're doing right now at paradox what what is the type of work that you are are doing yeah sorry I forgot that I didn't even mention that <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, I am an associate product manager, so I work on the product team. I uh, like manage and prioritize kind of the strategic roadmap for onboarding product. Um, so think like forms, right? It sounds super boring, but it's like when I think about the product as a whole, it's kind of like a critical like hub for a lot of different other pieces of functionality in the product. And so I get my hands in a lot of different things, which is really 
cool and interesting. Um, but like, I don't come from a technical background. So to be like working on the product and being like as close to an engineering team and like a design team and starting to adopt a lot of those ways of thinking is like super important um, in kind of what I want to do in my career. And that's why I like was very intentional about taking this step. Very cool. Um, and Jay, you're obviously like very young. You're in the, doing college applications and all that stuff, which is <laughs> yeah. kind of crazy. But you also have like a handful of internships or professional experiences that is like kind of crazy to think that you already have this at a high school level. But in terms of how you're thinking about like the next couple of years and like where you want to allocate your time and energy, um, do you have kind of a, a game plan or thought process there? Yeah, so my kind of personal thesis is I try not to predict the future because, you know, we really can't do that. What I try to do is position myself for success. So the question I often ask myself is, how can I stack the odds in my favor? So success is inevitable. Um, and so right now, the roadmap of what I'm trying to do is something that Sean Purry just released a podcast on, which is the learn then earn uh, roadmap. And so right now, what I'm doing is I'm trying to curate as many as a, trying to curate a portfolio of experiences. I'm trying to intern at startups, trying to apprentice under uh, great entrepreneurs to learn as much as possible to soak in that information through osmosis so that when I do start my own business, um, it's kind of like a no-brainer and I know I have the mental models to, to figure that out. Makes sense. And I guess in terms of the stuff that's like piquing your interest right now, I feel like I go through these different phase shifts, whether it's like specific types of podcasts that I'm listening to, where for a period of time it will be like, kind of religious philosophy type type of stuff that will interest me for a period of time. And then like I'll cycle out of it and then something new will, will come in the phase. In terms of how you guys are allocating your time with like books or podcasts or writing or other stuff like that, um, has anything like changed for you recently or are there things that have come up, subject matters that you guys are like specifically trying to dig deeper on? For me specifically, like I – just try to like chain smoke things. What I would, what I would say is like you just how do I like go from Ogilvy on advertising to like write like better copywriting to like this thing of psychology to then like this and right now um, I'm trying to consume a lot more around like macro trends, um, not to necessarily predict the future, um, but to know what doesn't change, right? I'm super excited to be able to like pick up uh, Same As Ever by Morgan Housel because it's like, if you wanna take big risk in like developing industries, which that's kind of like where I want to go. Three years ago, AI was not like a big thing and that was like where I like set my sights on. But if you wanna take big risk in say blockchain or NFTs or whatever, I think you have to know where to compartmentalize all the rest of the risk in your life. Like, how do you make it so that you're not like wiped out if that like new trend or new technology just ends up being a fad, right? And so I'm trying to consume a lot more around like macro trends right now. Um, things like Sapiens, um, nice. reading The Sovereign Individual, which is like Sapiens, but like flipped to like, what does the future potentially look like? Yeah. Um, and things like that. What are the elements of human nature that just like financially or the way we behave are like set in stone? They're instinctual in a way. 
Yeah, the sovereign individual is. Uh, I read that earlier this year. It's it's so good. Yeah. Um, and I read it in the context of reading this other book called The Fourth Turning. I don't know if you've heard about it, mm-hmm. but in terms of like macro trends and stuff like that, it's. Um, I think part of the premise is generations have their own identity based on experiences that they have, and like one of the insights that I've I've had is that if you ask people that are in their 50s and 60s, kind of how they think about allocating their assets and what's risky and what's not versus people in their 20s and their 30s, it's very different, right? Yeah. Of like how they how they treat real estate, right? How they treat the stock market. And that's something that has like piqued my interest a lot because you think of individuals, they have their own personality, but then you also you also think about generations and there's also almost a personality that gets embedded in these massive groups of people. Right. And that like breakdown breaks down on multiple scales to where even as I think about organizations as well, like organizations have their own identity. And Mm -hmm. it's very clear when you're in one organization versus another that there's almost a different personality to it. So that's like a a concept that I'm fascinated by. There's a quote by Morgan Housel, and it's like your experience with money is like zero point zero 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 one percent of what happens has happened in the world and how the world actually works. But we believe it's 80% of how the world actually works, right? And there's a story in the psychology of money where he talks about um, JFK. And JFK is like running for president and someone like ask him like, you know, how was your experience with the Great Depression? And he's like, oh, like, I don't, I don't really have an experience with it, right? Like growing up, my parents just like hired more people to like give them jobs, but it wasn't like he was like out on the streets, like starving or anything like that. And that's like a vastly different perspective than if you're at the opposite end, right? Where like, how was your experience with the Great Depression? Oh man, it was horrible. I had to like develop great persistence, blah, blah, blah. And it just goes to show like the, the identity and the way people have experienced different things, I think everyone's telling a different story there, right? The Great Depression, you learn about it in a history book. You're like, man, this was like the way it happened. But like to the people that lived through those moments, so different. 100%. Yeah. The uh, the book that Morgan Housel has repeatedly recommended on podcasts that I've listened to is The Great Depression, A Diary by Benjamin Roth. I just added that to my and list. It is stuff so good. And I mean, even like to your point of experience is a teacher in no like no other right yeah like you can read it from a textbook and it will give you maybe like five percent or ten percent of that experience and that is valuable but going through that experience like it's very hard to communicate you know things in words and text um and when it has like a when an experience has a visceral impact on your life um it means something completely different Mm -hmm. Uh, but how i think about risk has completely changed after reading that book uh like to your point um i guess in terms of like education in general, like Jay, I'm curious because you're you're in high school, but you're also doing all these side projects. Like, how how much time do you allocate towards uh, like getting good grades and, and just like the basic <laughs> stuff? Like, what is your view on education in general? Yeah, so I mean, there's a quote I forgot who it's by, but he's like, "Never let school get in the way of your education." Yeah. Um, so this year, I I'm purposely like I intentionally picked a slightly easier schedule than I did last year. Um, so I could focus on like the stuff out, outside of school. Um, and there's a quote by Tim Ferriss. He says, what would it look like if you gave yourself a personal MBA? And so 
like right now my learning sprint is on startups. And so for the startup that I'm working at called Perch, where we help experts answer questions to their, to their audience better. Um, one of the, so I work at Growth um, for Perch, and one of the strategies we do is called dog fooding, which basically means using your product to help improve the product. Um, so we're building something called the Startup Archive, where we take the startup legends of the world, the Paul Grahams, the Sam Altmans, and we, we watch through their entire interviews. We find out, we like clip different parts where they answer specific questions, and then we share that on Twitter and, and grow the newsletter that way. Um, and so that's kind of how I'm thinking about it, is how can I teach myself different aspects through like working? And so right now it's startups. We're launching something called the Creator Archive, so then I'll dive into how, how does a creator not only grow their audience, but then monetize their audience. And, and a lot of creators don't talk about that publicly. Yeah. And so it's just finding ways to go deep down the rabbit hole. And so that's kind of why I admire both of you guys is you're the most intellectually curious people I know. And, and so surrounding myself with other people who are like that. How do you think about consumption from a standpoint of like, like curating all of that content for the startup archive and then for like the creator archive that they're, they're all like lecture talk based. Like how do you think about that medium of consumption versus like the standard typical, like take a test you know, or like, um, read this textbook. Like, do you feel like retention is in essence higher because you're more curious about the topic? Or do you think that sometimes like you get this surface level type education because there's not like the repetition that happens in more like traditional type learning? Yeah. Well, cause I'm curious cause you're in, in both settings right now, right? Yeah. I, I think, I think Richard Feynman has this quote where he says, find the thing that you're genuinely interested in and study it rigorously. Um, the hard part about school is they tell you what to learn and how to learn mm -hmm. it. But when you're learning outside of school, um, you have the chance to follow your natural curiosity. And then David Center has this quote, learning isn't memorization, learning is behavior change. And so while I'm studying this out stuff outside of school, I'm always trying to apply it to myself or at least like create a note card and revisit that because that recall is actually how you learn. Yeah. When I was like teaching myself about AI, I would skip classes and I would like race myself to see how fast I could get my exams done because that was like my main, that was my main focus, right? I was like this health economics class. Yeah. It's interesting. You're learning about healthcare networks and insurance and stuff like that. But like, it's not the thing that I need to learn right now. And I found that without like time constraints, right? Like you might just like slowly consume something and learn about it and you don't move on until like you deeply understand that. And it's like a learn once and then you, you like ingrain it forever. Right. Versus with like my health economics class, it's like I'd sit in these lectures. I would like have someone tell me about these things. And then I have to like go back and rigorously just like continue to, to explore, like to review all of the content just to pass the exams because it's like, I have this time constraint, this deadline, and I'm not as interested in it where all the things I was interested in, it's a learn once and you're done, right? Like, I'm sure you probably get that with like your learning sprints. Like you don't move on from books until like you probably have a great understanding of what's included in those. And then it's like you do one learning sprint once and you're like above average in whatever that topic is, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the other aspect that's really interesting and part of the reason why I enjoy doing learning sprints is because it's one thing if you hear a concept explained that makes sense to you once, mm-hmm. but if you if you see different examples of it and it continually gets like drilled into your brain uh, from multiple different angles, right? Different people communicating the same idea. Like sometimes there are these weird shifts that happen where it's like you glean an insight, but the insight came from something that you've heard so many times before, but it's just like the contextual nature and the accumulation of knowledge that it means completely like something so different than what you thought, you know, and it changes your entire outlook on the world. And the interesting thing about that as well is like, once you do have a fundamental insights, a new insight about the world, it just becomes part of your default, right? And so it's hard for you to remember what it was like when you didn't know that concept, the curse right? Of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The curse of knowledge. And so I think that's the other powerful thing that I try and look for in people is like, one of the hardest things is to take the perspective of another human being, because you don't know like how they're thinking about it. You don't know what experiences that they had. Um, and the people that seem to get the outcomes that they want in life are like great perspective takers. And I don't know how much of that is innate versus how much of that can actually be like developed with work over time. But that's, that is a concept that I think a lot about. Where did the idea of learning sprints come from? Cause it's like, it's a pretty trivial or not trivial, but like a novel thing. Like I haven't heard a lot of people just like deep diving into like one specific niche topic for like a whole quarter, you know, like months on end and then coming out and like switching to another like thing. Um, right. When you go through school, like you're learning multiple subjects at the same time. Most people like they might just learn like about one specific niche area after school. Um, and they never really take this like multidisciplinary, um, like very focused driven sprint. Like what started that idea and Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is even thinking about the difference between podcasts and books, right? Of like, I think about this a lot as like listening to a ton of podcasts, but then also there's still, I find very real value in reading books and it's like Mm -hmm. a different type of value. And a part of why I think books are good for me personally is because I'm not a very fast reader. Mm -hmm. And so not being a fast reader forces me to sit there and think about a topic for just a long time. And sometimes it's just like, you just got to sit there and think about the topic longer. And that's that's what will give you the insight, right? It's not about like the quality of what you're reading or whatever. It's just you need to just sit there and think about it and keep thinking about it and keep thinking about it, right? And so doing a learning sprint is like oftentimes I feel like I can read a great book and I'll glean an insight and then it will be like onto the next subject or topic matter. And what I'm trying to do is like if I force myself for like three or four months to just think about this same topic, but it's, I'm hearing it from different people in different periods of history, talk about the same topic. Like my grasp of that will be a lot deeper. And I think the, the other thing is you'll find experts who will say they know something about a topic. And even if you've literally just read like 10 to 15 books on that topic, you can kind of call BS on the yeah. person that's trying to say like, I know about this or that. You know, and I I won't do I I rarely do that because I think it's like kind of disrespectful to call people out like blatantly. But your your internal gauge or your internal compass of like what's high quality versus not is like heightened when I've I've only done like two of these at this point, you know, Uh, but I have found kind of value in that for sure. What prompted you to do the first one? So it's funny because I studied economics at Stanford. I worked in, you know in finance. And 
part of what what prompted me to do like the whole history of money thing is I was very interested in Bitcoin. And one of the podcasts that I've been listening to for a really long time was the Investors Podcast Network with this host, Preston Pish. And the interesting thing about that was they were traditional value investor guys, right? They were doing the, the Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, looking at stocks from the bottom up, fundamental value. And as soon as like Bitcoin started to get some notoriety or like public media press, the initial reaction from both Preston um, and Stig, who's the co-host, was like, oh, this is like, this is this is junk. Like we shouldn't pay attention to this stuff. But like Preston has a engineering background. And over time, he started to like consider more seriously like Bitcoin and the value proposition of it, right? And when I was scrolling through like Twitter or whatever, going through social media and on trying to understand people that I respected, a lot of them dismissed Bitcoin. Um, but in listening to that podcast for a really long time, Preston continued to be like more and more convinced that like there's something there. And look, the macroeconomic stuff is so complex. I yeah. don't know for sure if, if like Bitcoin is the future or whatever, but I do consume a lot of Bitcoin content. And every time I listen to like Preston have conversations with other people, that really sparks my interest. And so even being an economics major, spending a lot of time in finance, um, I realized like I didn't really understand like money in its fundamental sense, like what it was and how it was used and what its purposes were. And it's funny because even after reading 10 to 15 books on the topic, like I still feel like I it's very hard to explain. It's such a complex thing, you know? And so part of it was that of like acknowledging my own ignorance on this topic that a lot of people would probably come to me like, hey, what's your advice on, on money? And maybe I'd try and give them some articulate answer. But in terms of me having a wholehearted belief that like what I'm sharing is actually reliable advice, like I felt like I was lacking in that space. And I was also just personally very interested from an investing perspective of like, where should I be allocating you know, my resources as well? Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of what precipitated that. Um, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Have you guys... Um, I guess in terms of like learning sprints or, or topics, um, I guess you said startups, right? Uh, is like kind of the the theme for you right now. Yeah. Is it a lot of st startup content? Yeah. Before that, it was writing and more specifically copywriting. Um, uh, so nice. I did the uh, copy work of great copywriting, read all the copywriting books and, and really studied the craft. And and I think that's kind of bled into my writing. Like I still, I got a DM this morning um, of another guy who was like, yo, I love your writing. Like, how do you do that? And I actually found it difficult. How do I do that? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it, it kind of just became who I was. Like another example is, um, I created a pitch deck um, as I was like applying to work for Noah Kagan, and he like shot me a text. He's like, "Yo, I love this. Like, how did you do that? Like, did you have a template?" I was like, "No, I, I don't know. I did it." <laughs> um, but I, I think that the fact that I created a pitch deck when I was applying to intern for Beehive actually kind of bled into it, even though I didn't really put two and two together um, until now. Um, so I, I think. It's kind of hard to describe, like Charlie Munger has this thing, this concept called the Lollapalooza effect where, you know, you won't necessarily see the benefits right away, but knowledge compounds where you can take an idea from left field and an idea from right field and you can combine that. That's when I think um, the real benefits occur. There are, there are people that will kind of say the mantra, like if you can't explain something in simple terms, then you don't really understand it. And I get like kind of where they're coming from. But on the flip side, I think the reality is there are a lot of intelligent people that have competence in some area 
and their their competence has been so ingrained in them that it's hard for them to explain it. I mean, I think a lot about like, you know, when uh, like NFL or professional players are getting interviewed like after a game and like the interviewer would be like, so break down like kind of what happened and what your thought process was during that play. And like sometimes they say the most like wild stuff mm-hmm. and just like doesn't make any sense and it's not even relevant to the play. But it's like that person has built up store of knowledge, but they haven't they don't actually even know maybe what works and, and why it works. And so that difference is always like something that I find very interesting. The fact that like there are competent people out there and sometimes they're not able to explain like why it is they were successful because it was just like such an ingrained part of them that it's almost like the whole um, this is water type thing by I think it was David Foster Wallace yeah. um, where he's like if you're if you're a fish and you're living in water, you know, what is, what is water to you? You mm-hmm. know, it is just like oxygen for us and air that right. we breathe. Um, so that's another you know topic that I'm like seriously fascinated by too. Yeah, I don't know if you guys are like super into basketball, but um, I took Steph Curry's like masterclass um, to learn how to shoot better, and it was wild the advice he was giving. He's like ten toes to the rim, you know, elbow underneath, you know, ten hands on the ball, no thumb flick, and that's like not how he shoots at all, right? He has a, <laughs> you know, so it's it's kind of funny how the greater we become, like the more we master skill, the more automatic it becomes, and and yeah. Well, here's the other aspect to that that I have thought a little bit about, which is like you had brought up the imitate and then innovate dynamic, right? And I think that is a good framework. Um, But I think the that second piece of it is like you have to make it your own in some way, right? And you have to like figure out what works for you because the one thing that I like I've been thinking a lot about is like advice that people give, and I'm just like generally not a big like fan of people giving advice because they have no idea like what context this advice is, is coming from They're playing different games. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so like, even with writing, like I, I wouldn't say I'm like a, a good writer by any means. Um, but like the only way that I could write was by like a lot of people teach it, write a bunch of stuff, come up with a bad draft and then revise it. Right. But the way that like my mind works, I realized in trying to write is like I can't move on from one sentence to the next until I know that this first sentence is solid. And so what ends up happening is like it'll take me like hours to just get one first good paragraph, you know, mm-hmm. and like that's just what works for me. And so I see I, I listen to like other podcasts of like how people write and it's like a very different approach. And I think like the lesson that I take away from that is like you got to figure out what works for me for you. Um, and just like move forward with that. And you should always like take advice with kind of a grain of salt. You know? One of the favorite, my favorite projects, and I hated it in the moment, but in college we had to create like, what was our creative manifesto? And it's like, you know, go out and understand what your creative process looks like and like have, create something that like signifies this is like my creative values, my creative principles, my creative beliefs but then also like provide something that shows the process and just that element of like tracking the creative process and and seeing what that actual process is is like it's invaluable like you start to understand like i like my desk facing the room versus like i like my desk up against the wall and you start to like notice all of these little like micro like factors that all factor into like how you create something, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I do think that like, um, people's sensitivity to environment varies like pretty dramatically. Mm -hmm. Like for me, for example, like if I, 
if I'm working on a specific project in one location for extended periods of time, like sometimes I need to have a change of location in order to have like a change of thought process. And I've realized like I'm very sensitive to that. Whereas other people I find like doesn't matter the place, the time, like they can just start grinding and like they're just laser focused and the environment just, they're immune to it. And so I think like one of the things that I'm very interested in and fascinated by is even though there are these things about humans that are consistent across all humans of like capacity for love or the need for food and sustenance and all that stuff, like the amount of variety there is, is, uh, is pretty crazy. Even with like personality types as well. Mm-hmm. Because like I'm, I'm very much like a hyper introvert for the most part. Um, like I don't like to be in social settings, but if it's a one-on-one or a two-on-one conversation about a topic that I'm interested in, then I could just get going for like a really long time. And I find it like I derive a ton of energy from it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm, I'm like super, super curious by as well. Yeah. What, uh, what personality type are you? So if it's Myers-Briggs, which I've taken a couple of times, I think like the different ones are INFJ and INTJ. Is that right? I don't know. I don't know. What I know that, I'm I N and then are. J, but the, the third abbreviation, like sometimes will flip for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Do you, do you know what yours is? Uh, yeah, I'm INTJ. You're yeah. INTJ. Have you taken a Myers-Briggs test before? Yeah, I'm, I'm the campaigner, which I, I I don't remember the exact acronyms, but I think it's like ENFJ, maybe. ENFJ. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing that I have like learned to get better at is like, instead of just thinking about time allocation, and I think this is something you guys had mentioned as well, is like energy allocation, right? Is like, what are the things that you're doing on a daily basis that you're driving energy from versus not? And that like dramatically will change your ability to produce output. Right. I think about that a lot. Like what are the things that I put a lot of energy into that, you know, I could move it to other places. Um, and like, how do I weigh the ROI of like mental attention to like actual output for a while? I was like not cooking and like, like eight out for every meal because it's like you know that's a huge energy output yeah for like something that you can just for relatively the same cost buy back an hour of your time or whatever it is and I, i'm like constantly thinking about optimization of like mental attention um to free up focus for other things but then also like time to just like free up that additional investment into other things yeah yeah with um with the uh, pioneers project like when did you start doing that and like I what was I'm just curious what the motive behind it was initially yeah so I started and it was called building blocks um and I started that like last January February sometime around then um that motivation was like each one is like a block and like you're gonna you know lay brick by brick like here's the thing but rebranded to pioneers project probably two or three months ago the motive of that is again, just like a staging ground. I think some of the beauty of writing is, you know, if you know something or not, like I have, I I changed my whole like back end creative capture system to mimic Ryan Holiday and Billy Oppenheimer with like the traditional like note cards and Zettelkasten and all of that. And there's like some ideas that I have where I'm like, man, this would be like a really good piece of writing. It's not done. Like you, you, you start to like accept when you do and don't 
have like half-baked ideas because if I sit down to write about this thing that's just like I know is not done, when I go to write about it, there's just holes in it. And yeah. so the whole like Pioneers project was just a staging ground to find out like, okay, what are those like pieces that I'm just like missing in my general understanding? Yeah, yeah, that's that's something I'm big on is like having these reality checks in your life mm -hmm. that you're getting like regular feedback on whether or not what the thoughts that you're thinking are real. Because I find this with writing a lot, which is like an idea will pop into my mind and I'll be like, oh, this is gonna be a great essay. And I go and sit down to write and it's just blank. It's like nothing's coming out. And it's, it's I, it was obvious that like I thought I had something and I didn't. And I try and do that both with like writing and also speaking is a good way as well. If, like, yeah. you, if somebody asks you, can you explain this topic to me? And you come up short, maybe it's you did have a good idea, but you just need more time to explain it better. But oftentimes it's like, no, you just didn't, you didn't know what the hell you were talking about when you first, you know, brought up that subject matter. Um, and so having those reality checks in life, I think is like super important. Most Jimmy Sony has this idea of writing upstream versus writing downstream. And so a lot of like experts will write downstream. Once they know everything, they'll then give advice. But I think the approach that I like is writing upstream is I have an inkling of what I want to write about. I'm not quite sure where it will lead, yeah. but writing to me is that act of exploration. And sometimes while I hit that writer's block, it does need, mean I need to go read some more, research some more. Um, but other times it's like, maybe I have to not read, not, like have no inputs and actually reflect on what do I think about this topic. And I think that act of writing is super powerful. Yeah. Most people too, like they have inadequate feedback loops all across their life. So like, you know, they, they might go work out and they might go like hop on the treadmill, but they're not tracking anything. So like they, they, they never really have this thing they can revisit and revise and optimize. And then when it comes to like career and professional work, it's like most times they're not getting like constructive feedback from their managers. They're not like they're they might read, but they're not like they don't have a feedback loop around like what ideas to really like hold on to and which ones are like oh, just this author's really good at making his point and sharing his idea, right? And I think that's like the beauty of the whole writing process is like, if you write upstream or downstream, you're like intentionally picking a feedback loop to determine like what should continue to evolve in your perspective, your understanding, your empathy, all of that. Because we just lack that in so many different areas of our lives. Yeah, I, I do think that that is one of the things I've, I found valuable in podcasting for the kind of short period of time that I've been doing it is even the act of speaking words on a subject matter, it like stimulates a different part of the brain. Mm -hmm. um, like when I, the first episode that I had recorded was with Dom Cook and he works at Colossus and does operations there. Um, and I realized, and I didn't realize this at the time, like one of the essays that I wrote, which is what will you take with you? right, of like building infinite assets and how powerful that essay. is. I appreciate that. But like the, I will listen back to the conversation with Dom Cook because somebody mentioned, oh, when I listened to your conversation with Dom Cook and then I read your essay, it was very clear to me that a lot of what was in the essay kind of came out of that conversation. And I didn't even realize that, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, it's weird how these things overlap, which is like you talk about a subject matter and then later that pops up into um, a piece of writing that you create and you might not even have realized it. Like that's yeah. to me magical. Yeah. On that essay, I, I loved it because Naval has this like um, quote, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like 99% of your time is wasted because you're like constantly looking for that like 1% of things that will like compound. 
right? And I've loved that essay because I've I've talked to a few of my friends now that are in banking, right? And they're like, I'm only going to do this job for like this amount of time, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, just leave then. Like, like if you're not like, like, what are you, you're, you're building the connections in a space that you know, you know, you already don't like, like you're doing a job where you're just like, man, this is grueling. This is long hours. Like you're building those connections. You're doing all those things. And it was interesting to see your transition of like, you've kind of fully accepted, like, you know, this is just like, this was wasted time. And like, you were like fully ready to just move on from it. And I'm sure that like had a a massive impact on how you jumpstarted your career now in kind of with Colossal and everything and how, you know, you're thinking about what skills do I need to build while I'm here? Like, what's kind of the next thing? Like, you know, and so many people, they just fail to acknowledge the fact that what they're doing, if they're miserable, they're just building in the wrong direction. Like they're just, they're trending in the wrong way and they can't take anything with them. Like I loved that essay. Well, I, I appreciate it. And I think, I think like the, the challenging part about it is that your identity is wrapped up in your work. Right? Yeah. And especially in the finance space is like, that is their entire life. And so even though they are miserable and kind of hate their, their, the work that they're doing, it's like to rip that piece of them out is like a very difficult thing to do. And even for like myself, when I was at Goldman and I was working like 13, 14 plus hours, you know, on every day. And when I stopped doing that, it was like, I didn't know what to do with myself to some extent. You know, it was like, this is a very weird experience uh, because like you have to kind of reconstruct part of your identity. And so that's why I am also, I do have like a essay about like diversifying your life to some extent. And why I think like, um, there's a guy, maybe you guys know his name about like the small bets, like many small bets uh, or something Daniel like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's why I think like doing something like that is cool. Cause if you have like multiple projects that you're working on, if one of them goes badly, it's not like your whole life has been upended. It's like, okay, there's, there's one thing that's not working. I have these other things going for you. you well, know? Walt Disney, like we praise him as this like great, you know, creative and, and innovator and everything. Before he was like Walt Disney and anybody knew who's, who he was, he created 400 different characters and like 400 different like animations and everything, right? And then Snow White comes along and like returns the whole portfolio, right? And it's like, that's the classic example of just like small bets, small creative ideas that compound because once one of those projects took off, he has a backlog of 400 characters that he's already thought about the stories of all of these people, right? Now it's like, oh, maybe like Daffy Duck was at first a, uh, is it Daffy or Donald? Donald Duck, right? Maybe Donald Duck was at first his own little story character or goofy. But like once Mickey Mouse took off, it's like, let me start plugging and playing these different things. And like, that's like, I loved when I read that because it's like, this is, small creative bets that like can just come back together and compound and everything. A hundred percent. Yeah. I was uh, reading Dom Cook's, one of Dom Cook's essays and I pulled out this quote. He said, great things come from small things done consistently over a long time. One point more again and again, investors call it compounding. Athletes call it practice. Nature calls it evolution. I love that. So powerful. Yeah. 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 Dom's awesome. And I mean, he, he sees that every single day because a lot of the conversations that they host on, on Colossus, um, have to do with investing in compounding. Um, so yeah, he's, he's an awesome guy. 
Um, we are, we're getting close on time. Um, so maybe just to like wrap it up of if you guys want to plug any newsletters that you guys are working on or kind of where people can find you. Uh, and before I let you do that, I, I will say this is a really fun like opportunity for me because it's like two things off the bucket list. One is this is the first like in-person recorded podcast for, for my podcast. Um, and it's, I think, a lot more of an immersive experience when you're doing it in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also the first time that I do like a two-on-one dynamic. You know? <laughs> um, so it's super cool. Uh, do you want to kick it off, I guess, with like where people can find you and, and follow along with you? Yeah, so you can find me at Noah Zender, um, Z-E-N-D-E-R, on Twitter. Uh, and then you can find the newsletter and everything I've written to date at noahzender.com. Perfect. Jay? Yeah, and uh, I'm at Jay Yang Inspires on Twitter. So J-A-Y Yang Inspires. Um, and from the Twitter, you'll find everything else. Cool. Thank you guys both. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Idea Exchange Podcast. For more information on the podcast and more information about myself, you can visit tylercho.com. I also send out a monthly newsletter to friends, family, and colleagues where I essentially share the best ideas that I came across from that month, whether it was books that I've been reading, podcasts that I've been listening to, or just conversations that I've been having. So feel free to subscribe on the homepage of my personal website. Until next time.